Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Megan. Hey, good morning, Hillcrest family. <laughs> My name is David. I love, love being one of the pastors around here. Absolute gift. Um, I am a child of God. I am who you say I am. And if that's true of you, and you've never expressed that through the form of baptism, uh, Camp Fairwood, you're going to hear about it more coming up in the days ahead, but I love what we do at Camp Fairwood, where there's a baptism at the pond where we as a church family gather for a weekend in August, and, uh, and one of the things that take place is this beautiful symbol of baptism. And I love about baptism is it's, it's communion is when many become one at the table, Baptism is where one, as a symbol, become many, as a, as a reflection of buried with Christ and raised to new life. So next week, next Sunday, a class just to walk through if that's something that you've never done or would love to make that step. Uh, and then, oh man, I'm so thankful for our church family's generosity. Just uh, in, a, in a small way, we got to uh, support CareNet and uh, reflect a heart to, uh, to care through them through moms that are uh, trying to figure out what their next step would be. So in a meaningful, tangible way, I, I'm just thankful for our uh, church family's generosity in a, in a way. Um, and we've been in this summer series, The Kingdom of God. And so th th what was on my heart this morning, I, I don't know what you've carried in. I, I don't know what might be transpiring in your heart. Maybe some hurt from some, some family member or, man, even just, just walking through the door. I don't know the pain of, of, uh, of, of what might be happening on this 4th of July weekend. You're like, man, we have these people coming over. What are, they, are we ready? All the things. I don't know. Whatever might be going on in your head. Uh, sometimes it feels like the kingdom of God is less present and less real in our life. And, and so we're not naive to believe as if the kingdom of, of Jesus is fully here. That, that the pain of sometimes this life still exists in, in real tangible ways, and yet simultaneously not hopeless as if, as if uh, the kingdom has not already begun. And so we've been walking through this summer exploring the idea that King Jesus brought a cross-shaped kingdom, that, that Messiah Jesus came, was crucified, rose again, and ushered in this new reality. And yet simultaneously, we, we live in this old age and simultaneously anticipating his return to usher in the fullest picture of this new age. And part of that journey, here's the last words Jesus said to us. So I want to do a quick look at just who we are as a church family. So if you're new around here, here's some of who we are and what we're about. King Jesus says this, his very last words in Matthew. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, now here's what it feels, and this is a quote from a guy named Will Mancini. Here's what it feels like sometimes, it is, is the evangelical church broadly has missed that core send from Jesus. And the problem we see broadly, the church in North America is dramatically over-programmed and under-discipled. 
where we're essentially fulfilling a functional great commission that looks more like this. In North America, we've, we've decided that we go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. And so we, we abhor what the evangelical church has become broadly. And so we strive desperately to fulfill what it means to make disciples. And so for us, it begins here. It, we believe that God's a relational God, <laughs> that he's revealed himself through his word. Now, now this, isn't, this isn't basic instructions before leaving earth, right? This, this isn't like just, just an instruction manual. Instead, we believe in a relational God who, who longs to know us and longs to be known through his word. And so we long to study and experience him through his word as firsthanders. And so you've heard me talk about my wife in the sense of, you could tell me, you could tell me my wife loves me, right? And would I believe you? I'd say yes. But if I actually heard Casey tell me for herself, David, I love you, changes everything. And so in the same way, we long to hear from God through his word where he says, I love you. And then what's that look like? Well, if we believe that God is a relational God, we begin to long to get to know him and it develops a grid for our life. It develops a grid called theology that we begin to use to determine the choices in our life that begins to develop what we would call a disciple. And we try and take that very abstract idea of a disciple. What is a disciple? For us, it revolves around three lifestyles. Someone who follows Jesus, Builds community and seeks transformation. Andrea, you were like, just here, you're in like, yep, David, we've heard it, we've heard it. Yep, nod and smile, nod and smile. There it is, these three lifestyles. And, and following Jesus through his word sometimes is challenging. We're all in process. We're all in that in different ways. So for some of us, reading the Bible just is challenging. Reading is tough. Does anybody have a hard time reading? Are you a reader? Oh man, I think reading, it's like, I wouldn't, so the fact that I believe God wrote this thing leads me to want to read it. But reading by and large, I am horrible at it. Building community, sometimes that element is hard because we've just been hurt in a setting like this. We've been hurt by someone else in the church and so that particular area of that life of a disciple is just hard. Or seeking transformation pursuing those that have yet to treasure Christ with the hope of the gospel, we go, I don't have that gift. That's for someone else. Instead, we believe we are all in process in one of those three lifestyles and take Jesus at his word when he says, go therefore and make disciples. And so what, what would that actually look like? What does it mean to live that out and make disciples? We're trying to demystify what this process is because for some of us, it means what I just I just say, oh, well, come to a rock star worship team, motivational speaker, awesome kids, parent. come to this gathering exclusively. In addition to that, we believe it's actually both come and see and go and tell. That it's actually going from this place. And, and the phrase for us we use, go as everyday missionaries, as life happens. Don't add something else to your life but just believe as life happens, you're either inviting people in to find more joy in Christ or you're doing something called discipleship, which is, well, I just want to grow in what it means to experience more joy in Christ. And so we are in this summer series where we are exploring this idea, the kingdom of God. It's about a king forming a people to live under his 
rule and reign. And we've been asking the kids to draw pictures. Last week, the kids, just like we did, explored what it means that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field. Anybody want to see what is on the person's face that the kid drew? What is it? What's on the kid's, what's on the face? A smile. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found covered up and then in his joy goes and sells all he has. Even our, even our kids as they're recounting that story understand the treasure brings delight. Life with Jesus brings delight. And she drew a smile on the person discovering the treasure. Is that our experience when we find King Jesus? Do we find him satisfying? And so this morning, the thing that popped into my head was about a donut and some apples. And so, and so I ran a quick trip. Do you guys run a quick trip for glazers? Is that something you guys do? Do you guys show up? So I, I show up the day after so I can save like a buck 50. You get like the discounted price. You know, you show up and it's like a discounted price there. And, and, so, and so Jesus is gonna tell us a little bit about the idea of a donut and an apple this morning. Because we see comparative value. Because we look at this and, and we go, oh man, is this satisfying? I love donuts. I'm, maybe you're not a fan of the glazer, but I, you can dip this in coffee. Oh, it just fulfills the coffee and the donut. It multiplies the effect. Is this good? We love donuts. And yet do we understand the ongoing nature of an exclusively donut diet probably isn't the most productive for your life. Instead, we understand what about this? Uh, it's more fulfilling, ultimately, long-lasting, sustaining. And over time, the fewer of these we have, the actually more sustaining and fulfilling this becomes. Here's what Jesus says in his teaching We've been looking at the king. Now we're going to start unpacking a little bit of what it looks like to live under his rule and reign. Here's what he says in Mark 8. He's just heard from Peter. Peter just declared, you are the Christ. And here's what Jesus responds. And he began to teach them saying that the son of man, and we're in Mark 8. You guys know you can open this up from time to time as well? You guys believe that? Not just on the slide, so we're in Mark 8. Here's what he says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the temporary fleeting things of man. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father and with his holy angels? So I think here is what Jesus is going to share with us this morning. The kingdom of God is actually a cross-shaped kingdom. And as we follow King Jesus along this road, we give up what we cannot keep 
to gain what we cannot lose. It's a quote from a guy named Jim Elliott who was a, a missionary to a, uh, an unreached people group and ultimately was killed for his work in that process. But his quote sustains the time. We give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. And so this morning, we're gonna wrestle. When he says, deny yourself, what exactly is Jesus trying to invite us into and what it looks like to live under his reign? So pray with me as we dig into the text this morning. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our lives. Uh, whatever might be clouding our minds right now, competing for our affections, something at home, something at work, something with our family, with our friends, with our kids, uh, our future, our decisions, whatever might be clouding our minds right now, what, we, what might even be waiting for us positively in a July 4th activity, may you help us free our mind to hear what you have for us through your word, ultimately believing we are hearing from you. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's where we're headed in the text today. I think two just general ideas. Jesus is going to talk about the journey he must walk that seems counterintuitive to his listeners. And then he's also going to talk about the journey we must walk under his reign. So here's where we'll start. The journey Jesus must walk. And he began to teach them that the son of man. So, so, when, so when his readers hear that, what, what gets elicited? Do you guys hear the verse that Megan read to start our service? When they hear son of man, there's this filling up their minds of a revolutionary hero. The Jewish eschatology had this. They thought there's an old age and then the king, the Messiah is going to come in and usher in a new age of political revolution. They get that from Daniel 7. Here's what Daniel says. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed Jesus meets their expectations and begins to clarify what the Christ is actually going to look like because they had the wrong idea. And so what was the idea of what this Christ was going to look like? Here's what Jesus begins to share. Because Peter is saying, you're the Christ. He recognizes him. And then Jesus begins to clarify just exactly what that means. That the Christ will die. And he began to teach them, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things. That the Christ is going to suffer and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes. And then what? Killed. So here's the question. When is this being stated? When are his listeners hearing these words? Has Jesus died at this point? When he's sharing about this, he's yet to go to the cross. That this activity wasn't haphazard. It wasn't like, man, you know, I think I'm going to go to the cross. These guys are going to take me. No, it planned. That he actually is planning this, this revolutionary cross-shaped kingdom. And then what does he say is going to happen after he goes to the cross? 
and after three days, rise again. 2,000 years ago, we gather every Sunday because we believe there was a historical fact of a guy rising from the dead. Jesus walked this journey. Ordained, planned, determined, this was the journey he was going to walk to the cross. And what do you think Peter's feeling in that moment? Jesus understands, I'm ushering in a new kingdom, and it's going to come through my death on the cross. What do you think Peter's feeling in this moment? He's wondering, you know, Jesus, I'm not sure you have this all figured out. Jesus, I, I just want to encourage you a little bit about how this thing's supposed to work. And so Peter starts walking with Jesus and saying, you know, I think you're, you're actually going to usher in this, this, this kingdom. You're, you're coming in. You're the Christ. I understand who you are now. And as Peter began to rebuke Jesus, how did Jesus respond? Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you're setting your mind not on the things of God, but the things of man. There's lesser things you're concerned with in the empire, not my kingdom. These things that are lesser joys, these things that you think I'm supposed to do, you don't believe my better is better, the things of God. And so we're going to pull that apart a little bit because here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves as citizens, not ultimately of this place. If you treasure Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, you have one foot in the empire, but you're also part of a kingdom, not of this world. And so, does our choices, do our, do our emotions reflect more of worry, anxiety, and fear that things aren't going exactly the way I intend them? Or do I have an eternal perspective with more certainty and more confidence and live with freedom in every decision in my life? And so, Peter is caught thinking, you know, Jesus, I thought you were bringing this empire. And Jesus says, there's a journey I'm walking, and Peter, guess what? You're going to walk it too. And he begins to teach them saying, here's what the kingdom is like. Pick it up at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Take up your cross and follow me. And so he starts, follow Jesus. Here's what he says. What did follow look like? Let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. So he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to follow me. And so what's sandwiched in between those two places? What do you see? Deny yourself and take up your cross. So we're asking, what does that mean? And, and, and I want you guys to test this. So what we get into here, it, it feels like here's what I often hear. When we hear deny yourself, I feel like I want the donut but sometimes it feels like church leaders say, I know you want the donut, but just choke down the apple because it's good for you, right? And I go, but, but I want the donut. And they go, it's not good for you. Choke down the apple. And you go, ah, is that what he means by deny yourself? So here's what we're going to unpack. Test this, but there's the question at hand. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? So we're going to start here. What does it mean to deny yourself? I think what he's saying, 
forfeit a self-determined view of how you believe life works and embrace God's. Is God's better, better? Does God sit on the throne of our hearts or am I constantly longing for what I believe to be best? So here's, here's the question. Is self-denial denying our desires? Here's what it feels like sometimes. Where there's things that I believe are gonna make me happy, but I'm like, well, I, I'm not supposed to have this and just choke down the apple. Is that what he's saying about deny? Instead, what it seems, is there a denial of things? Yes, but it's always because it's rooted in something greater. Why would I forgo a donut? Because, I mean, you smell it's sugar. I mean, it's delicious. Why would I forgo this? Because I actually believe healthy living supersedes whatever this donut can provide temporarily. And so when he says denial, it's actually disowning or renouncing. What are we renouncing? What are we disowning? That we sit on the throne of our hearts. We're denouncing and surrendering that we are preeminent in our lives. Because here's what it often feels like we attach to disown or deny. We add deny yourself things. The text doesn't say that. It says deny yourself. Whom is denying ourselves? <laughs> I am denying myself. What am I denying? Thinking my better is better. <laughs> and so I love this quote. From, uh, from, oh, man, I'm two slides too, too far in my head. I love this question. Because it feels like when he says deny, we're changing the essence of the question that we often tell ourselves. Instead of asking, what are we giving up to follow Jesus? We're actually changing the question to say, what do you get when you follow Jesus? And what are you getting? If we believe God is a relational God, we are getting the joy we were created for. Relationship with the God we were designed to be in relationship with. But we choose lesser joys all the time. And we settle for things that are less than the best than God actually designed us for. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. You guys love quotes, right? Yes. I love quotes. If you're new around here, I maybe use probably more quotes than I ought to. But you guys are very patient and gracious. I'm just providing you guys opportunities to grow in patience. That's all I'm doing for you. So here's the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, where's that come from? I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblemishing promises of reward life with Christ and the staggering nature of the rewards promised, secure an eternity, freedom in the midst of circumstances, I would say that it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. It's not that our desires are so strong for the apple. Instead, our Lord finds our desires too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because you cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So we deny ourselves. We forfeit a self-determined view of how life works and embrace God's. Does it appear, broadly speaking, people are embracing God's design for how life works? Feels like we clamor for our way and we desire to determine what we believe is best for our lives. And so he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. What is that? I think what he means, we begin treasuring Jesus so thoroughly, so completely, we would happily die if he asked us. We begin on this journey of treasuring him more and more and more that these things just grow strangely dim. Here's what he says, right? We often say this, we all have our crosses to bear. What do we usually mean by that? Because here's what I'm promoting as what he means by take up your cross. A totality, a completeness, a thorough surrender. We often say, well, we all have our crosses to bear. What does that usually mean to us? Uh, I got to go to my in-laws this week and spend some time with them. You know, we all have our crosses to bear. Or in maybe more extreme situations, we isolate particular areas. So don't hear me say the spiritual element is, is bad, but sometimes we isolate those to the neglect of other areas of our life. This is our cross to bear. Temptation, suffering, difficult circumstances. When those first century readers heard, take up your cross, what are they hearing? They're not interpreting that figuratively. <laughs> There's a literal sense of what that means for them. For us, more figuratively interpreted, but for them, there's a literal cross. They see total submission to the point of death. So in that sense, what does it mean to take up your cross? There's an ultimate surrender taking place to our, in our lives to King Jesus. So I love this. Again, C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed says this. You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It is easy to say you believe in a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Would you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Only a real risk tests the reality of belief. And so he says, deny yourself. Believe God's better is better. Take up your cross in real situations where you're reflecting that Jesus is the king that sits on the throne of your heart in those moment-by-moment situations. Because here's what it feels like. Sometimes we feel so overwhelmed that, well, does that mean I have to sell my house and take the $200,000, $100,000, $50,000 of equity, and I got to use that, and I got to open up some kind of restaurant or store, and I got to give away all the proceeds, some massive over-the-top, or is it? The journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. You know, in this moment, I'm just having a really hard time with my spouse. Might I actually joyfully persevere and never give up and continue to follow Jesus? Might I, in this moment, lay down my rights to encourage my spouse with whatever might be going on? Is there someone in my workplace that's just challenging to get along with? I just, I just, I just cannot, for the life of me, work that out. Might I continue to take one more step further up and further in of denying myself, taking up my cross, and following him. So, the journey we walk under his reign, we follow Jesus. And then he begins to describe 
There are costs, though, in this journey. Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So he says there's a cost. If I choose this for my lifetime over this, is there a cost? You know, I feel like I'm paying it right now. I feel like I'm up about 10 pounds in my life. To save your life, we lose it. To settle for lesser joys in this life, he says you're actually forfeiting it for the long term. Here's what he means by save and lose. Jim Elliott again, a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's what Jesus says is saving your life. To not deny to not take up your cross, to not follow in this life would be seen as saving it. But what are you losing? He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But to lose it, what's the loss? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Heavy words from Jesus. Heavy words that, that have an impact. He's talking about an attorney apart from him. What does it profit a man to settle for lesser joys now with eternity on the line. And he adds one more layer. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory. There's a moment he's saying, down the line, to settle now, looks forward to a rejection by Jesus at a coming, heavy stuff, judgment. To save our life now is to lose it for eternity. But then he says, very quickly, he doesn't say, come on, because he could have left it there, right? Jesus could have just left it there and said, so choke down the apple and just do it. But what does he say? He doesn't leave us there. He says there's benefits of following him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But what? He's motivating us with the reward, not the stick, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So what does it mean to lose yourself? There's a battle every single day where we're fighting for more joy. Every single day, the offer to think, is my better better? <laughs> or is God's better, truly better in my life? And we take up our cross, and is it a one-time decision? Oh man, Monday to Saturday, we continue to live this life. And is actually a promise of reward. He says, save our life and save our soul. So what would that actually mean? I tried to put down a few ideas. Talking to my father-in-law recently. Tried to put down a few ideas. What would it look like to save our soul? Well, what's the motivation he's trying to drive towards? Uh, I think it's this enjoyment of God. A relationship with the God we were designed to be in community with. And we get to experience the depth of his love. Not because I'm earning my my, uh, my connection to him. But apart from anything I could do, I'm experiencing the depth of God's love. And there's a sin and a brokenness that I'm just increasingly aware of that's been forgiven. In Christ, it's been forgiven. And so the guilt's removed and that shame obliterated. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, I did it again. I, I settled for the donut again. In Christ, no guilt, no shame. Instead, 
grace to say, David, there's more. (laughs) David, there's more. There's more satisfaction to be found in a lifetime of pursuing me. Shame obliterated and this reconciled relationship between my creator. And then indwelt by the spirit to overcome sin. Because here's sometimes the battle. I'm like, oh, but it's so good. What, what, what if I just, just a taste? What, just, what if I just smell? Can I just smell it? How close can I get to this line before I cross over in this battle to find joy in the apple? How, how close can I get instead? Empowered to overcome and fight. And Jesus is always present even in that moment. Jesus always with us giving us purpose to those circumstances in our life. What does it mean to save our soul? What does that mean both now and for eternity? Seeing all circumstances used for our good. Do we really believe there's no bad news in the kingdom? Whatever it might come our way, God is actually drawing us to himself to find, find our joy in him. To actually believe all circumstances are causing us to wrestle with that. What's that thing that was trying to creep into your head earlier? That was causing you to doubt that, oh, is this really for my good? All circumstances. And then deepening experience of God's love again. I couldn't help but write in that twice. Empowered to love others. That the more I experience that, it actually captivates me to want to love others in my life. And then how long does that work till? There's this, there's this thing that sits in our, in our, uh, in our TV room. It comes from a poem by a guy named C.T. Studd. Does that name mean anything to anybody? He wrote a poem. I'd encourage you to look it up. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But he added a last stanza. I've, I've never found it but in this one poster. In case he bought it for some Father's Day or something like that, somewhere along the line. It says, and, and when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. Man, no fear in death, right? As I, as I strive further up and further in, knowing I'm in process till Jesus returns or he calls me home. So I don't know what this might be for you. I don't know where this tension is settling in your heart. What are those things that you're battling to deny for the sake of the treasure? To take up your cross and follow me. I don't know where that's landing on you, but I tried to put together a few that were landing on my heart this week. So the journey of denying self includes self, right? Who is denying whom? Myself denying myself because I actually believe something is better. And so how do we deny what we don't recognize or unaware of? So so I would encourage you, reflect, spend some time. What are those things that that cling to your soul? Here's just a few that popped in my head. Consumerism. Man, it is the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. You You know when I buy something, you know who I'm not thinking of? Usually not thinking of my wife. And I'm not thinking of you guys, right? Who am I thinking of? Thinking of myself, right? Who am I thinking of? What's going to work for me? Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Instant gratification. Man, I understand if I choose this in the moment, how good is it going to taste? But how long does that last? Ah, instant gratification. 
Money, sex, and power tempts us to believe in instant gratification. Comfort. Man, if I could just find a space to relax. David, do you know how busy my life is? I just need to relax and find some comfort. If I could just disconnect from this world. The idea of comfort attempts to tempt us to believe that will satisfy our soul. Judgment. And what I mean by that judgment, sometimes we've been talking about mirror living versus window living. That when I look through my window and assess how much areas of growth everybody else has, I feel a little bit better about myself. Because don't you know how much that person and that person and that person and that person has to grow? I mean, they are not as far as me in this journey, right? And then what usually happens is I go, huh, but that person's a little bit further on the journey. And then I start trying to think judgment. I wonder what's going on in their life that would push them back behind me in this journey, right? Is that clinging to our hearts? That sense of judgment and superiority that I've got things more figured out? Or apathy? <sighs> David? You know, pursuing this takes work. That just sounds like too much work for me. I think I'm just content to just enjoy and, and be apathetic towards the effort that's involved. Or just acceptance. I, 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 I don't actually have any desire to grow. I'm just kind of accepting those around me and where I'm at with less interest to continue to follow him further up and further in. So there was this, there was this, picture uh, from a company. You guys know I was born and raised in Hawaii. So this was developed by a group of guys um, around the time I went to college back in Hawaii. And they, and they tried to capture the essence of this idea. He greater than I. But where in your life are you tempted to believe that should actually be flipped? That I is greater than he. <laughs> Well, where are you tempted to? What, what's clinging to your heart that you go, yeah, I, I get God that your better is better, but man, this is sure looking appealing right now. Instead, here's my encouragement. Somewhere on your, your bathroom window with an Expo marker, maybe on a note card, maybe in your journal, draw this, he greater than I. And, and when whatever comes to the forefront of your mind this week if Jesus truly is satisfying for our heart, might we continue in this journey of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him? This came to bear recently just in my life. Uh, my kids were doing like a cookie baking contest. And, um, and so I was with Mari and Dari and Casey. We're on a team. And uh, so we made snickerdoodle cookies and chocolate chip cookies. And then we had Hudson and Eden. Eden's, you know, a year and a half old be the taste testers, and Eden did not want my snickerdoodles. I'm like, come on, did I raise this girl better? So, so ultimately, Dari and mom won, whatever, right? With no bitterness. But, but later that week, what happens when you make cookies? You got a lot of uh, leftover cookies, right? So later that week, later that week, I'm walking by, and, and there's that plate of cookies. And my instant reaction is, oh, I'll just, I'll just go grab a snickerdoodle, right? And, and there is this battle happening in that moment. In that moment, this is taking place in my heart. And then what did I do? Say that again. I grabbed this. I was hoping you guys were going to say, oh, you were so good, David. You passed the snickerdoodle. No, I ended up taking like a quarter of the snickerdoodle. I felt a little bit better, right? But there's the battle. Moment by moment, week to week. Sometimes literally this thing, 
And other times, consumerism, apathy, judgment, I'm battling these moment by moment, Monday to Saturday. Jesus says, go and make disciples because he sits on the throne of our heart. And so we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him and the journey of a thousand miles, one step at a time. Pray with me. God, you are so good. Thank you for your grace, your mercy in our life. Thank you for your healing and restoration by faith in your son and his atoning work that we can have relationship with you. And so help us experience that a little bit more. Whatever might be competing for our affections or our attention, help us continue to deepen in this reality that we want more of you, less of us, and continue to surrender ourselves to that reality. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.